Begin by settling into the body. And hearing. <laughs> hearing. <laughs> Just feeling the body sitting, sit and know you're sitting. Using the framework, there is a body. Sitting, feeling the body, creating that framework, there is a body in which you can become aware of whatever arises within that framework. Might be the sensations of the body breathing. Might be other particular sensations that are arising in different parts of the body. Noticing how each of these sensations is arising and changing and passing. Staying aware of the impermanent nature of whatever arises. It's all part of the flow. And practice noticing the feeling tone associated with each arising object. And these are particularly noticeable when we're feeling different sensations, which are quite tangible. And we can usually pretty easily assess for ourselves, is the sensation pleasant? Is it unpleasant? And when the sensations are strong and the feeling tone obvious, it's helpful to make a mental note of the feeling tone of the Vedana. Pleasant, 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 unpleasant. You might notice whether there's a shift in your awareness as you experience different sensations and the feeling tones associated with them. Notice if there's a shift when you make the mental note. Because often there may be a subtle reaction under the radar, slight aversion or resistance to what's unpleasant, or wanting it to change or slight holding or enjoying of the pleasant. And all of those can be noticed. Often it's interesting to observe whether in the simple process of making a mental note, it allows the mind to relax back 
from any subtle reactivity. Where there's the simple bare attention that a pleasant feeling has arisen or an unpleasant feeling tone has arisen. We begin to get a sense, an experiential sense of the possibility of experiencing both pleasant and unpleasant and neutral with equanimity. Unpleasant is just like this. Pleasant is just like this. Where we're open to the experience of it, but we're not reacting to it. As Greg mentioned yesterday, we don't have to go searching for this feeling tone, but rather to acknowledge it with a note when it's quite obvious to you. Pleasant, pleasant, unpleasant. And settling back into the awareness of there is a body, open to the changing sensations in the body and the changing sensations within each breath. And in or out breath, a rise and fall is not just one thing. The breath is a flow of distinct sensations. Can you become the flow of experience with awareness? Sometimes we stay in the open, more choiceless perspective. There is a body and simply noticing whatever arises within the framework. And sometimes the mind can attune simply to the feelings of the body breathing. You can find your own rhythm of interweaving the more directed awareness, the more open awareness. And stay alert for the arising of thoughts and images in the mind. Thoughts as words in the mind, the images as pictures that may be arising. These are just another object of awareness to become mindful of. You can make the soft mental note of thinking or seeing. with very repetitive thoughts, maybe a more precise note would help planning, remembering, judging, commenting. But again, don't create confusion in the mind trying to find just precisely the right note. If it's not immediately clear, just the note of thinking will serve. as a way of deepening your insight experientially into the truth of impermanence. You might hold the question in mind, (coughs) the unspoken question, what happens to this object as I'm aware of it? What happens to this sensation as I'm mindful of it? Does it get stronger, weaker? Does it fade away? Does it end abruptly? What happens to a thought or an image when we become aware of them? Are we aware after they're already finished? 
Do we become mindful in the middle of them, in the beginning? <coughs> so it's not altering the process in any way. It's just refining our awareness of how it's actually happening. Noticing that whatever arises has the nature to pass away. So seeing this directly, seeing this for oneself moment to moment, is what deepens our understanding and realization of impermanence. Noticing what happens to each object of experience. If there are many thoughts going through the mind, you might take thought itself as your main object of attention. Simply settle back and watch the flow of thoughts. Perhaps with the question in mind, what is a thought? When there are many thoughts happening, that's a good opportunity to investigate their nature. What is a thought? Begin to see how empty and transparent they are. Today, begin to include the awareness of different emotions and mind states as they appear in your experience. Sometimes emotions are very strong and obvious. Might be emotions associated with aversion, irritation, annoyance, impatience, fear anger, rage. So all of these emotions can become the object of meditation. Oh, impatience feels like this. Or anger feels like this. Sometimes there are pleasant emotions that come. Perhaps feelings of joy, of happiness, of contentment, of peace. <coughs> These two should be noted. They are also conditioned phenomena arising and passing away. <coughs> As we settle back into the awareness, the framework, there is a body. All of these different aspects of experience will appear at different times. The mindfulness practice is to simply settle back and be aware of whatever is predominant in the body, in the mind, in the heart. Whatever happens, whatever arises, to simply be aware of it, to note it, to feel into it, and to see its permanent nature. Whatever has the nature to arise will also pass away. And if you feel somewhat settled in your practice, and the mindfulness has some degree of stability and steadiness, it's interesting to see the relationship between thought and emotion. 
Notice how at times a thought may appear in the mind and the thought may immediately trigger some emotional response. Might think of a difficult person or difficult situation and just the thought or image of it can trigger an emotion. We might think of someone or some being that we love and as soon as that thought or image appears might trigger different kind of emotion, love or joy. It's helpful to see this conditioned relationship between thought and emotion and going the other way as well. Sometimes emotions will trigger thoughts. But as we see their interdependence you get an ever-deepening sense of their impersonal nature. For many people, emotions are what we most personalize. Even as we begin to see the body and the sensations and the breath and thoughts and sounds as coming and going, When there's a strong emotional response, very easy to fall into an identification with that. I'm angry, I'm sad, I'm happy. But when we see their conditioned nature, a thought arises, emotion comes. There's a certain emotion present and we see thoughts being generated. As we see their conditional nature, their impersonal characteristic, the non-self characteristic becomes more and more obvious. It becomes easier to settle back and simply be with the whole passing show. body, sensations of breathing, other sensations. Noticing the play, the flow of pleasant and unpleasant. Aware of sounds, of thoughts or images, of emotions. We don't need to go looking for anything. It's settling back and simply being with what appears. Being mindful of what calls our attention. Whenever it gets confusing, you're not sure, quite sure what to do or where to attend, you can always come back to the simplicity of there's a body. Sit and know you're sitting. As our teacher Manindraji once said, if you sit and know you're sitting, the whole of the Dharma will be revealed.
questions about your practice. Uh, let's start with people who may not have yet asked the question. Mic on. Okay. <coughs> so first, uh, okay. for me personally, there's Dukkha and having a question. <laughs> dukkha, Dukkha. <laughs> So I'm understanding that the happiness that's available to us to help ourselves to is sort of irrespective of sense, irrespective of, of sense desires or sense experience. But when I heard the instruction where you're saying, hey, you know, what is the tone, uh, what is the state, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, and when there's pleasant, is there enjoyment or grasping? And so what I'm wondering is, particularly with mudita, is there space for pleasant and unpleasant, maybe for us not to have reactivity, but sort of a lowercase r response that, that, that holding a bit of enjoyment uh, can be a teacher and mm. holding a bit of hmm, lowercase r sort of response to someone pleasant in terms of learning. Ah, oh, when I have sila, this doesn't, this isn't here so much, and I, I. But that in itself is a bit of a preference. I don't know. Can it be a teaching without being a preference, <laughs> and without being grasping and clinging? <laughs> I actually had the feeling when I dropped in the word enjoyment. I thought, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> so, I mean that's that's a uh, important question. Uh, basically, in terms of the practice, we're open to whatever arises in the sequence, if we can be mindful of them. So, for example, with pleasant, the experience of pleasant, we're aware pleasant, and we're aware of the enjoyment and we're noting the enjoyment. So all of that's fine. We're just not getting caught or identified with the feeling of enjoyment. Right? Um, yeah, so that's, that's all just part of the flow. And we do learn from our responses to these different uh, states. You know, and sometimes, uh, as you said, as we're aware maybe of unpleasant things, and then there's a little reflection about Oh, maybe this had to do with sila or breaking of sila. So that's, that's an insightful uh, discernment. Yeah, so that's all part of it. Just be watchful that you don't spend the next half hour thinking about it. Right? Insights are always intuitive, which means, in this practice anyway, insights don't come from thinking about things. They're coming from just the bare attention and mindfulness of the process, and then, oh... We see something that we didn't see, we hadn't seen before. That insight then is often expressed in the mind as a thought. Oh, this, you know, we begin to unpack it conceptually. And that's fine because it can actually help to set the insight in a certain way. The danger is that these Dharma-related thoughts are very seductive because they're about the practice. You know, and so it's very easy to go from an initial framing of the insight in a concept to five chapters in a book. <laughs> so just be watchful of that, and I speak from a lot of personal experience. <laughs> I've spent many hours lost in Dharma thoughts, and even though it was exceedingly interesting, it didn't actually serve the practice. Um, the other day you mentioned that it doesn't matter where your attention is or what's going on in your experience, what matters is how you're relating to it. And over the past few years, my practice has been moving in that direction of just not expecting anything, not wanting to be still or concentrated. 
but in that process of moving in that direction, um, I've been setting down a lot of striving, and so putting down the striving. But in that putting down of the striving, I've noticed a lot of effort also going away. But I know that effort and diligence and ardency are good things, and Kamala even mentioned Sambhaga. So I'm wondering how do you mm-hmm. fuel things like effort yeah. without feeding yeah. those other things? A basic question. So if there's an important distinction which might help kind of set you on the skillful path regarding that, and that is um, understanding the difference between aspiration and expectation. So to have an aspiration like deepening concentration or like deepening insight or enlightenment. Right? So that aspiration is a good thing. That's an, that sets the direction. You know? And so we're clear in our mind, yes, for this period of time or for my whole practice, this is what I'm aiming for. Right? Expectation has to do with the sense of wanting it to be a certain way now as if we can control that. That's always a setup for suffering. You know, if you go into a sitting with an expectation that it be a certain way, it's usually not going to turn out too well. So, if you can hold the aspiration, like at the beginning of a sitting or the beginning of a retreat, you know, that this is the aspiration, and then let it go, and work in a way that you know fulfills the aspiration. So, for example, if you have the feeling, yeah, it would be good to strengthen the samadhi a bit, the concentration. So then rather than spending a lot of time in an open choiceless awareness, that aspiration would indicate, okay, let me just focus more uh, one-pointedly on the breath, for example. Uh, So then you're you're setting up the conditions for the fulfillment of the aspiration, but without tightening around the expectation. Uh, So I've just found that uh, distinction really helpful. Uh, Because aspirations can inspire us, and expectation just makes a mess. All the way in the back, yeah. So during my practice, I've um, been able to find um, deep states of concentration and um, am focused on the breath. And during these times, I've um, previously in my readings, I've heard about an exercise of um, turning the attention on itself and investigating what kind of awareness that brings. So. When I'm in these deeper states of concentration, I will try that and I find that there is um, a subtle change in awareness and um, almost like a more expansive kind of awareness and uh, an easier, or it feels easier to keep the focus. And I guess my question is, is this kind of exploration something that I should be trying in my practice, at least here at Spirit Rock? Or is that something that's um, best left um, you know, outside of this practice? No, it, it's very much part of the practice. And it's a good thing to be doing. And as you indicated, kind of you're learning a lot from doing it. And so I'll mention a few things with regard to making knowing you know, it's the object itself, making awareness the object of mindfulness. We'll be talking more about this uh, later on, but just to plant a few seeds, perhaps for your exploration. So there are many models for this. In the traditional teachings uh, of Vipassana, the very classical teachings, there's the understanding that in each moment, two things are happening. There's an object and the knowing of an object. 
So sound and a knowing of a sound, sight, knowing of a sight, sensation, knowing of a sight. And so our experience is the pairwise progression of knowing an object, knowing an object, knowing an object. So the first thing to do is just to be aware that that's how it's happening. You know, so that we're acknowledging in each moment, yeah, there's hearing, there's a sound, and there's knowing of it. And they're arising simultaneously. Right? So we just begin to explore that. And this is one of the uh, early stages of uh, the progression of insight, the progress of insight. The awareness of knowing an object, knowing an object, knowing an object. Because when we begin to tune into experience in that way, it's really the first significant glimpse into selflessness. We realize that all there is, is knowing an object, knowing an object, knowing an object. You know, we begin to see the impermanence of that process and the selflessness of it. So that's the first step. As you become a little familiar with that process, realize that in this pairwise progression, sometimes we can give emphasis to the object side of it, which is uh, most common because it's most tangible, it's most obvious. But it's also possible to turn the mindfulness back to the knowing aspect. Right? Uh, and so occasionally, in your practice, when it feels like there's a certain stability of concentration, using the mindfulness and turning it, or giving predominance to the knowing aspect. So I'm going to offer a technique for doing that, uh, which you can play with. Some of you may connect with it, some not, but um, I found it extremely useful. And it has to do with a uh, change of language, of how we're languaging our experience. Because the way we language experience to ourselves very much conditions how we experience it. Normally, the way we speak and in, in our language, in English, and then I think in most languages, we're using uh, what is called the active voice. Right? With a subject and a verb and an object, and I'm going here, I'm going there, I'm thinking, you know, I'm feeling this or that. <laughs> So the subject of all this is I. And so that language is actually reinforcing the sense of self, just in the very way we're conceptualizing experience. What I found really useful is relanguaging our experience in the passive voice, which is a no-no for writers. They're always saying, don't use the passive voice. But for meditation, I found it extremely interesting and helpful. So for example, instead of I'm hearing a sound, it would be a sound is being heard, or a sound being known, a movement being known, a sensation being known. Right? So what happens when we change that language? We take the I out of it. In a sound being known, or the breath being known, there's no, the eye is not the subject. Right? Uh, the sound becomes the object, or the, the subject, or the sensation becomes the subject. So we're reversing our usual way of experiencing things. I found this very, uh, most clearly available in the walking meditation to begin with. Because when we're walking, first, the object is very clear. You know, we're not searching for anything. It's just, you know, you're taking a step and you're feeling it. You're feeling the movement. And then just see what happens if you kind of reframe your unspoken language. But you, you could actually use this as a mental note to begin with until you kind of settle into the experience of it. You might say, oh, movement being known or touching being known, like that. So a few remarkable things happen when you do that. One, you see that the being known happens spontaneously. There's no one there doing anything, so it becomes completely effortless. You're taking a step, 
and you're just aware of the movement being known. And this is happening all by itself. So first, the first gift of it is you begin to experience the ease of it. It's really effortless. The being known arises spontaneously. And it arises exactly with the objects, not a moment before, it's not a moment after you're moving. And it's being known spontaneously just as it's happening. Is this reasonably clear so far? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so one, so I would just practice that till you. It's, this is not difficult, but it's just you know it's reorienting a bit. Uh, the the philosopher Wittgenstein said, "The sense of self is just a shadow cast by grammar," <laughs> and this really reveals that our language reinforces the sense of self. And when we re-language in this way, the whole sense of self disappears. It's just things being known, moment after moment after moment. You go through the whole day, really effortlessly, you know, in this way of viewing. So once you just play with it a little bit, and at first, you know, maybe a little awkward in trying to figure out, well, what was was he talking about? (laughs) But it's not that difficult. You know, and I think you'll be able to connect with it. Then... The very interesting question becomes known by what? You know, so once we're just in the easeful way, we're not, we're not struggling, we're not efforting to be in that flow of things being known. Okay, so we practice just that for a while, and then drop in the question, well, known by what? That gets really interesting. You know, because then you're turning the mind back to the awareness itself. It's an investigation of, okay, well, what is the nature of awareness? You know, it's clearly things are being known, so that's clear. But by what? And it's really interesting, because when you try to find awareness, the knowing, there's nothing to find. You're not going to find anything, and yet the knowing is happening. So this is the great mystery of consciousness. This is the great mystery of awareness, that there's nothing to find, and yet the knowing is happening. So, just as you explore for yourself, uh, it's a way of practicing the mindfulness of awareness with, with a strong uh, dose of investigation. And, but it's not thinking about it. So it's not when you ask the question, known by what, it's not that you then, oh, well, is it this, is it that? The question is simply a way of directing the mind or pointing the mind in that direction. It's not to be looking for an answer. Right? The answer, the understanding, will come out of our investigation. No. And it's so miraculous how the knowing is arising moment after moment. No one's doing anything. So I hope you have fun. I find it a lot of fun. <laughs> because it's, it's just so remarkable. <laughs> and it's such a direct, it's like a direct looking at the very nature of awareness, which is another way of saying a direct looking at the very nature of our lives. You know, so this, this just gets to the fundamental aspect of what our experience is. So play with it, you know, and if it feels too confusing or you didn't quite understand, it's fine. You can just play a little bit, let it go. Um, But I found it helpful, this reframing. Okay, two short announcements. One, Ajahn Greg will be doing his interviews down outside the yurt and there are little signs with his name in big letters and arrows pointing, <laughs> so I think you'll find it. Uh, secondly, the affinity sittings will begin today. The POC sitting will be at 2.30. Uh, the alphabet group sitting will be at 6.30? Yeah, 6.45, and both are in the council house. Um, Okay, so even 
Now we'll end the sitting, the getting up, standing, walking, the walking meditation, going to your groups. Every single part of that process is equal. So don't think, oh, just in the sitting, let me get to the walking. It's like standing. How many different things happen when you stand? It's a complicated process. Yeah, and just to, to tune in to what's being known moment after moment as you stand. So the mind is wide open, and you're just seeing, well, what is being known? Different sensations here and there, different sights or sounds, whatever. What's being known as you move, as you move out, the, out of the room, as you do the walking? Uh, so this continuity of practice is the key, uh, and it takes practice. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.